According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we're in Philippians chapter 2. Join me in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 and 2. The make my joy complete imperative. Philippians 2, 2. Make my joy complete. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking our Father to set aside our distractions and to humble us so that we can receive the word implanted. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, rejoicing in your faithfulness, and Father, calling upon your faithfulness once again. We're here to show ourselves approved before your face, workmen that needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And uh, so here we are, Father, and I thank you that the word of God is uh, ministered on a spiritual basis, uh, dependent upon your faithfulness, the teaching ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our understanding. And I thank you for that. The things you've hidden from the wise of this world, you've shown to babes. And uh, that's, uh, that's a matter for praise, Father. Jesus praised you. I praise you. I thank you that as we humble ourselves today, we will be fed. And I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we've been dealing with, uh, with this, and we've come to point four. This is uh, the make my joy complete portion of the chapter, where essentially we're just dealing with verses one and two. We're going to move on to verses three and following here, uh, where we get to the kenosis and we get to the uh, think this way. Um, really, uh, what we want to pay attention to when we get to these imperatives, the, the have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. I mean, for a lot of folks, that's the whole reason why you want to study Philippians, right? I mean, you want to get to that kenosis passage. You want to, you want to digest what that imperative is all about. But what we're studying today actually prepares us for that because it's the thinking verb that we're dealing with. And, uh, we're going to be dealing with that here, uh, in, um, verse two. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, thinking the same thing. And if we're going to think the same thing, it's going to be defined for us in verse 5 as what Christ thought, okay? Think how Christ thought. And so all of these things come together. This, this, uh, in, this section feeds to the next, feeds to the next, feeds to the next as we open up chapter 2 here with these three uh, exhortations. All right. So we've covered a uh, point one already and a point two, uh, point three. Under point three, we were assuming four things. And so assuming these four things, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, and if there is any affection and compassion. And obviously there is. All four of these ifs are true. And we have these as a part of being a, a believer in a functioning local assembly. We have all of these in spades. We have loads of, of, of all of this. So on that basis then, we come to point four, make my joy complete. And uh, this is where we left off on Wednesday, and I want to get right back to it here this morning. Because when we talk about completion, we're not talking about it's 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 a, it's a fulfillment, like when Scripture is fulfilled, it's a completion if something is imperfect. And it's not really, it's not saying that what comes before, there's nothing wrong with Paul's joy. We're not saying that his joy is deficient, 
okay? Sometimes when we think completion versus incompletion, then that means there's something inherently wrong with what's incomplete. There's nothing necessarily wrong with what's incomplete. There might be or might not be. I think in Paul's case, the, there's nothing at all wrong with his joy. His joy is marvelous. He's got great joy. But it could be shared with the Philippians, and that's what he's dealing with here. This would complete his joy seeing them adopt the thinking that he has, and then together adopting the thinking that Christ had in, uh, in his incarnation. So make my joy complete. The verb is plerao. And we've had several plerao studies over the years, plerao and pleroma. Pastor Theme had several plerao studies over the years, if you're familiar with the ministry at Baraka Church. In fact, plerao and pleroma uh, become dominant themes, uh, so much so that uh, my buddy Clay Ward has a church in Tullahoma, Tennessee, and that church is called Pleroma Bible Church, right? They're on our list. We pray for them. You might recall, that's the church that had their building burned down a few months back, and we're praying for, praying for that. So uh, plerao is uh, number 4137, and uh, it's one of those o verbs, not the o verbs, but the o verbs that end with the Omicron Omega, the short O and the long O, play ra O. Uh, Strong's number is 4137. There are 87 New Testament uses, so there's quite a bit. Uh, throughout the New Testament, we can put some charts up and show you where those, uh, where those are found. Um, and, and a lot of times, this is the verb, that, this is the go-to verb that if it's talking about a scripture being fulfilled, you know, Jesus does something in the Gospels and the author says, this was to fulfill what was spoken of through you know, Isaiah the prophet or what have you. This was to play ra'o what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. So there was nothing wrong with what Isaiah said. There was nothing uh, inferior about it. He, he uttered a prophecy. But that prophecy is not complete, it's not fulfilled, that, that the purpose for that prophetic message is not uh, fully realized until uh, obviously Jesus gets it done. And so that's uh, an aspect of fulfillment there. 87 uses, only three of them are imperatives. It's, it's almost never used uh, on a command basis. It's almost never used as an imperative. Only in a pretty harsh statement that's made in Matthew 23, 32. And uh, we saw that on Wednesday, and I've forgotten it already. Um, <laughs> the, uh, somebody else remembers because you were paying attention Wednesday night. I wasn't paying attention. Um, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. And remember, this was the crowd that said, ooh, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them. You know, we would have never have put uh, Isaiah to death or Jeremiah to death, or we never would have put Jeremiah down that well and so forth. You know, we're better than that. And Jesus says, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. They, they, uh, they persecuted prophets, but you're on the verge of crucifying the Christ. And uh, anyway, so he says, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. So that's a tough message. And it's one of the, the rare, only three imperatives of Plerao that we have in the New Testament. Uh, Philippians 2.2 is the one we have this morning is, is another one then, uh, to make my joy complete, fill up my joy, and then the other one is to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with, play ra'o, in a passive imperative. Not active voice, but passive voice. Because you're not the one that does the filling in the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're the one that's getting filled in the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's a passive 
a passive imperative there in Ephesians 5.18. We also have compounds. There's ana plerao. Uh, ana often has a repetitive uh, connotation to it, to fill up again. Ana plerao. It has six uses. Uh, pleroma is the noun that's got 17 uses. Plus then the adjective play race. If something is full because it has been filled, it has been fulfilled, then it's full and that would be the adjective play race. And so you combine all those uh, 87 plus 6 plus 17 plus 16 uh, somebody that can do math would add all those up and that would be uh, a fair number uh, of, of verses that you want to look at and uh, in fact that's what this button here does. And so uh, here we have 126 results in 124 verses of uh, places to look at through the New Testament that would show us kind of a sampling on these on these fulfillments and the idea. Because the Bible's got a lot to say on fulfillment. And I think if we remind ourselves of what those are about, then it will help us then when it comes to uh, fill one another's joy. I don't think, um, too, this also will help to answer some flaws that the world puts out there, right? When Paul says, make my joy complete, he's not telling somebody else to make him happy. He's not saying, make me happy right? He already has a joy. But it's a joy that he's commanding the Philippians then to supply a plerao application. And to me that's a world different from what the world, what the cosmos would say or what Satan would say or what sometimes we say in our carnality, right? And we get, uh, we get jaded or we get disappointed or we get, we somehow feel like uh, we have to make the other person happy, or they have to make us happy, or that happiness comes f- from a person. See, and if I'm not happy, then that's the, the other person's fault, and that's my excuse to, uh, you know, to divorce or bail or, or leave a church or whatever else I'm supposed to do. Okay, so uh, this is not Paul hoping that the Philippians are going to make him happy. He already has a joy. He wants them to have the same joy, so that together. His joy then becomes plerao'd. All right, so uh, just a sampling on these, and in having these in a view, what I call the snippet view, is useful. It's uh, it's the aligned view. Uh, you can do your searches in different ways, but I like the aligned tab because that that puts them all where uh, you have the term there, and you can kind of see scanning down the page what you're dealing with. So in Matthew one, and in Matthew two, and in Matthew three, and in Matthew four, and in Matthew five, and through all of those. Um, it's all rendered fulfill. Fulfill what was spoken by the Lord. Fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. This was to fulfill spoken through the prophets. Uh, the, uh, John 3 to fulfill all righteousness. Remember that? He's coming to be baptized and John the Baptist says, oh no, no this is wrong. Uh, I should be baptized by you. What are you coming to me for? And Jesus said, permitted at this time for it is necessary to what? To plerao, to fulfill all righteousness. And so um, I'm not going to go there today, but just tuck that away in the back of your mind and think, wait a minute, if I'm going to do some more comprehensive plerao studies, I'm going to spend some time in that baptism event. There's something there about fulfilling righteousness, because I just thought righteousness was righteousness. You either had it or you don't. But now here's the idea of righteousness being fulfilled. Wait a minute. There's, uh, there's something to, to chew on there. 
Um, you also have an interesting use in a parable there in, in Matthew 9, 16, where he's talking about a patch, putting a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment. And the word that's rendered patch is, is one of these words we're talking about this morning there, the, the, either the plerao or the race or the pleroma, as it comes to that. Pull away from the garment. Um, so fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah. Isaiah fulfilled, fulfill what was spoken. Um, of course, 12 full baskets when he's feeding the 5,000 and they're gathering up the pieces left over. They started with just a few fish and loaves of bread. When they fed the 5,000, they had so many leftovers that it filled 12 full baskets. And then in chapter 15, the feeding of the 4,000, at uh, seven large baskets fall. We already discussed that confrontational message in Matthew 23 with fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Uh, there's a plerao application that can come through, what shall we say, the, the, the patrological, I've got to find a term for this. You know, the wrath of God comes upon the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, is what the Scripture says. And, and we have passages like the sins of the fathers, the guilt of the fathers, to that third and to that fourth generation. And uh, for plerao to be used, in a, in a sense there, is, is curious to me. And it's one that uh, I would want to spend some time in before I try to teach that doctrine again. Uh, so, anyway, there's, uh, there's the Matthew uses. The Mark uses are largely parallel. Although there is a thing, a mature grain that's spoken of there in, in Mark 4. That's unique to Mark, not found in Matthew. Because, um, yeah, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. So if you're a farmer and you raise grain, then maybe that means something to you. Um, Luke and his uses... Again, it's fulfilling Scripture. But how about Luke 2.40? The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So that's a description of our Savior at the age of 12. That's the episode where he goes to the temple. And here he is as a boy. And as far as increasing in wisdom, uh, it speaks of his fullness. It speaks of being filled. It speaks of, it's a plerao application there. So that's curious, all right? Prophecy, every ravine will be filled. Let's play raw. Every mountain and hill be brought low. Uh, in, in Luke 4, 1, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit when he went out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so not surprising that we have, that we have play race there for full of the Spirit because uh, we have play raw for our imperative to be filled with the Spirit. Um, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Luke 4.21, that's when he's preaching out of, of Isaiah 63. And that's, by the way, turn there and get a good hermeneutica lesson in far, how should we handle the Scriptures? And how do we take an Old Testament text and bring it into current application? Jesus gave us a great exercise there in Luke chapter 4. Uh, there was a man covered with leprosy or filled with leprosy um, when he had completed his discourse or fulfilled his discourse speaking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So there's a variety of English terms that, that, that are all translating the same Greek term. Fill, cover, increase, accomplish. So that's Luke 9.31. Uh, Luke 21, uh, the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 
That's, that's a, a prophetic study that we deal with because God has, since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, God has for the most part, well really since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, that Davidic throne has been vacated. And the Jewish people have been subject to Gentile dominance ever since. To this day, the Jewish people are still subject to Gentile dominance. And uh, that, that's going to run its course up to and including finishing with Antichrist in the tribulation. And uh, that's, uh, that's a significant prophetic study right there that uses plerao. He gives a communion and he uh, says, I will never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Talking about the, uh, the Last Supper there and the Passover and communion that they took part in. That's Luke twenty two sixteen, Luke 24, 44. And we've got this coming up in, um, must be in the Hebrews notes. Or maybe it's coming up here. No, it's in the Hebrews notes. We'll be dealing with this. It's the great cognition where he opens their minds to understand the scriptures and he takes them to the Old Testament and he, beginning with Moses he shows them uh, that all things spoken of him in Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Must be fulfilled. So if the scriptures made a promise, it has to happen because God said it would happen. God put it in writing and it must have a fulfillment. And so we can rightly divide the word of truth on that basis, on the basis of has it already been fulfilled or is it not yet fulfilled? Is it waiting a promised future fulfillment? See. And that becomes the, the standard there. So that's Luke. Get into the Gospel of John. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Play race, full of grace and truth. Uh, John 3, by the way, a lot of these in John, I should probably skip over now, because it kind of forms the, the, the finale of this fullness study. Uh, John, what, what, what Paul does here in Philippians when he says, make my joy complete, he takes all the conspects of, of, of joy and rejoicing. He takes that whole realm of, of Christian joy and he blends it with his own doctrine of, of fulfillment. But he doesn't do that nearly as often as John does. The Apostle John has passage after passage after passage where he uses plerao terminology together with kara, uh, joy, or Cairo rejoicing testimony. But uh, John 3.29 is one of those uses when he talks about uh, the bride, uh, bridegroom and the and the friend of the bridegroom and and uh, seeing the uh, hearing the bridegroom's voice when he says, "So this joy of mine has been made full." This joy of mine. Let's look at that. John chapter three and verse twenty nine. Let's turn over to that. Something else that snippet view does. It just sparks things, and you think, you know what? There's a larger context there and, uh, and a useful thing here because I think the, the interaction between disciples is curious and this is, this is what the Philippians are being invited to do. They're, they're being challenged by Paul to operate as a flock, as disciples, as believers in such a way. And uh, in John chapter 3 what we're dealing with is we've got, we've got different disciples and, and some of the sour grapes being spoken of here um, in different ways. And some of John's disciples were grumbling about Jesus' disciples and, and uh, anyway, there's, there's different things. Um, so I guess starting in verse 22, after these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Aenon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. 
for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And so all of this is, is being factored or, or coming into play in the context of, uh, of what we're dealing with here. All right, then they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And so really there's the, there's the purification question in verse 25 and then there's the, uh, oh, shall we say, the, the, the attendance dispute <laughs> uh, coming there in verse 26. All right? Um, just lamenting the fact that, you know, our numbers are kind of dwindling here lately ever since you, you gave that message back then, and his numbers are really getting ramped up. And, and exactly, you, know, you start to think, well, why are you guys still here? <laughs> you know, you heard that message, you heard what I said, why didn't you go follow him? Yeah, his numbers are up, it should be up more. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been granted him from heaven. And you yourselves are my witnesses that said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. And in, in all of this, there's no sorrow. And all of this is just joy after joy after joy. He has great joy and his joy is complete. Um, so you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, right? I mean, you got a groom, you got the best man, okay? But the best man is not taking the bride home when the wedding is over, okay? It's the groom that takes the bride off to the honeymoon and that. All right. Who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that's the attitude and I think that's the attitude that Paul's getting at in Philippians. That's the attitude John gets at when he talks about a fulfilled joy here and elsewhere in John's writings. I think the recognition is it, it's, 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 it's defi- in defiance of what the world would say, right? In the world, the world would look at something like this, would look at somebody else advancing. Can we have joy in somebody else's success? We're supposed to. The world doesn't understand that, Right? It's, if I'm going to be happy, then I've got to have my success. I need to have my fulfillment. I need to have my personal enrichment. I've got to have my meaning. Blah, 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 blah. Right? It's all about me. And, and the, the, the beauty of the Christian way of life is we're loving one another, we're serving one another, we're, we're edifying one another. And when they, when the other increases, man, we're thrilled with that. We're not, uh, we're not prideful or arrogant or... or uh, you know, sour grapes on our part of thing, like, you know, who do they think they are? I should have more than that. I'm better than them. Why do they get that? How do they rate that? See, that's carnal mindedness. So, there's a, a good use there. Um, John 7, he told his brothers he's not going to go to the feast because his time has not yet fully come. Our times need fulfillments too. Okay, and it might be that we're eager to go and get something. We're all eager. We think I'm ready to be ordained and take a church and off I go. But that's a time that will be fulfilled when Jesus says so. Okay, and so for Lewis and Bill and Bob and LaRosa and all these guys, I mean, hey, when the time is fulfilled, and that's, that's Jesus' business. 
Okay? In the meantime, we just stay faithful and we keep preparing and we keep studying to show ourselves approved. Uh, a woman's wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Um, there's more fulfilled joy. We'll get back to that later. Uh, fulfill the word written in their law. Sorrow has filled your heart in John 16. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. There were some things spoken in that upper room and the disciples weren't happy about it. And sorrow filled their heart. All right, more joy. Uh, Scripture fulfilled, the Holy Spirit fulfilled, Scripture fulfilled. Acts chapter 2, a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So there's a plerao there in the house as the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter tells Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? That's a plerao usage. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Filling Jerusalem with their teaching, full of the Spirit, full of faith, full of grace and power. Man, I want to meet Stephen someday. <laughs> okay, Acts chapter 6, verse 3, verse 5, verse 8. One of the first deacons and the very first martyr of the church age. Full of the Spirit and wisdom, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power. John seven twenty three was approaching the age of 40. It entered his mind to visit his brother. They're talking about Moses. So there is rendered approaching. Approaching. Anyway, after 40 years had passed, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together. Uh, Tabitha called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds and kindness and charity. There's a fulfillment. Play ra'o, abounding. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. <laughs> Acts 13.10, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. And so I think this is useful. Not only is God filling, Satan's filling. Not only can filling happen in the Spirit, but filling happens in carnality. And that should uh, cause us to evaluate certain things. Um... The grace of God to the work that they had accomplished. And when these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. They were filled with rage in 1928, Acts 1928. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. All right, so that's Acts. How about Romans? Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. There's a filling. In Romans 1, that's describing there, we, and we get that, that immoral depravity of Romans 1. It's spoken of as a filling, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. Fullness of the Gentiles again, the partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That, that coordinates well with the passage in Luke we t- spoke about earlier. Love is a fulfillment of the law. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. You know what? It's not only the Holy Spirit that's filling you. The God of hope filling you with all joy and peace and believing. That's God the Father in that context. 
Septuagint quote, the earth is the Lord and, and the fullness thereof or all it contains. First uh, Corinthians 16, Paul was rejoicing at the coming of, of these guys because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. They came uh, from Philippi, they brought some, uh, they brought some gifts. And of course, Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus Christ in His first advent was born in a plerao application as the, as the appropriate time came for His incarnation. Bear one of those burdens and thereby plerao, the law of Christ. Didn't we study that in uh, Galatians chapter 6? Galatians 6.2. And of course, my favorite of all of these, Ephesians 1.10, with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times. What is God the Father looking forward to? It's not the millennium. It's the thousand generations after the millennium. Okay, The thousand years of the millennium is one thing, but the thousand generations after the millennium. In the new heavens and on the new earth in which righteousness dwells, it's called a dispensation suitable to the pleroma of the times. The summing up of all things in Christ. What is the body of Christ? The church is His body, the pleroma, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The pleroma of Him who pleraos all in all. Okay? So when you start doing these pleroma studies, realize many of them are uh, post-millennial. New heavens and new earth. The fullness of time dispensation of the thousand generations on the new earth where, the, uh, where Christ and His bride uh, we'll experience this. Uh, Christ, uh, the, uh, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God, that you may be plerao'd to the pleroma of God. That's the one that Colonel Theme dealt with for I don't know, probably about 200 hours of teaching, I think, on just plerao'd to the pleroma. Um, how many more of these? Ephesians 4.10, ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. We're uh, growing to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, and then finally be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. And by the time we get to that 5.18, we've already had several Ephesians uh, Pleroma applications. Philippians, of course, where we are this morning. Uh, make my joy complete. There was one back in chapter 1, verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. We dealt with that in that chapter. There's more coming up uh, here in chapter 2 and talking about Epaphroditus and the, the ministry that he had, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So we'll deal with that in 2.30. And then uh, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 where we have the biblical perspective on our finances, where we have the biblical perspective on what God supplies, because He supplies all our need. And that's need singular, not needs plural. It's not all the bucks that we're looking at and not all the money we want, but it is our need. And, uh, and then He does supply. And uh, they brought these gifts. And uh, He says in uh, verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account, verse 18, but I have received everything in full, have an abundance. I am amply supplied. I am amply supplied. And that's the plerao there. 
Um, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will, my God will, play ra'o, my God will supply all your need. Singular. Take the S off of there. If you've got an English Bible that has S on there for needs, plural, it's need singular in the Greek. And he will play ra'o, he will fulfill according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I love that. Not what you've earned and deserved. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's grace all the way. That is grace all the way. So, looking forward to that. There's more in Colossians 1.19. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the pleroma to dwell in him. In him, the pleroma of deity dwells in bodily form. The fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In him, you have been pleroed. He is the head over all rule and authority. All right. Scripture fulfilled, joy fulfilled, and full reward. Joy of yours may be made full. Strengthen uh, the things that were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. That's a message in Revelation 3.2. All right, and then tribulational martyrs, the number of them would be completed also. That's play ra'o. All right, so there you have it. That's a short 20-minute recap of what can take hundreds of hours to, to boil down and digest and, and uh, celebrate. There's a lot that's there. Okay? All these expressions all form a tremendous root study in the New Testament, all from the same Greek root. Kittle develops these terms plus five more. If you have a theological dictionary in the New Testament, if you have the ten volumes set on Kittle or not, it's in the library, or you get it on Logos. Kittle's got a marvelous development on, on, uh, on this as well. I, um, I've already read enough to, I think. There's, let me just show you where it is. So he deals with play race, play ra'o, play roma, ana play ra'o, uh, ant ana play ra'o, that's not one I gave you, ek play ra'o, another one I didn't give you, ek play rosis, sum play ra'o, play ra'foreo, and play ra'foria. So all of those were, were under Kittle's heading then, and he dealt with, with all of those from the, from the same root, from the play ra's root, uh, and dealt with that. Anyway, when you read Kittle, it's enjoyable, but it's, uh, it can be dry, it just depends. And then sometimes Kittle doesn't help himself, and, and, and Kittle's not just one man either, it's a full editorial team and, and, uh, and, and, and a group. But sometimes the, the theology gets a little deep, and then you have to back off a little bit and say, well, I don't agree with that, but I thank you for the, for the language work. Uh, but this uh, play race goes all the way back to Aeschylus. That's uh, Aeschylus right there. One of my favorite playwrights. Okay, Philo. Yeah, I'm not going to read all that because that's play ra'on as non-biblical use. Again, back to Aeschylus. Septuagint usage. God is the one who fills the world in Old Testament and Judaism. More aspects there. The content of the word of the New Testament. That gets closer to what we're interested in right now. Anyway, can you tell this is a lot to read? So if you don't have access to this and you want me to make a PDF, I'll just 
PDF the whole article and uh, let me know. I'll email it to you. Then you get to play Roma. All right, so that's Kittle. Uh, beyond Kittle, there's an excellent article in Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia on fullness. And so sometimes if you're preparing a study, if you've got a, uh, a devotion coming up or you've got a home Bible study or you just want to sit down with your kids and, uh, and deal with something, I recommend a, a Bible encyclopedia. I recommend you get uh, you know, Unger's Bible Dictionary or you get, uh, you get uh, any, any one of the ones that are available, the New Bible Dictionary or Logos puts out a couple of excellent ones. Uh, the Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia was a Moody product. I, it was taken away from Logos at one point, so I don't know if they can still sell it or not. If they can, I think they've resolved their contract issues. So if, if Logos and Moody are playing well again uh, together, then, then look to see if, if the Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia is back on the, on the Logos market because you want to add that to your, uh, to your library. But this is the kind of thing where it's, it's just it's like an encyclopedia. It's like you know uh, a secular encyclopedia, uh, Britannica or whatever. Uh, but it's all centered on biblical themes, and so it's going to have uh, these different things. It's going to be alphabetized A to Z. This is the article on fullness. Talks about Pleroma, but it says it's used in Scripture in at least six ways, and then it it lists those out for you, and it gives you a sample of each. And it gives you the basis of something you can start with if you have to teach a, a Bible class or give a, a short devotional at work or anything of that nature. So it can be used in a time kind of fulfillment. It can be used for the history of the Gentiles, and we looked at that in Luke and in Romans. Um, the deliverance of the kingdom of the Son to the Father, that's the, that's the dispensation of the fullness of time. That's, that's what I'm preaching on in Houston in, in, uh, in March. When the Son delivers the kingdom to the Father that God may be all in all, that great abdication in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Talks about the fullness of Israel. You know, God's not done with Israel. They're going to be returned. They're going to be restored. They're going to have a fullness. The fullness of Christ. That's the body of Christ. That's us. We are the fullness of the one who fills. And then Christ's sufficiency for us. The Pleroma we have in Christ. Well, that's kind of a nice article. And uh, you can take that, print that off, use that in a devotion. All right. When Paul says, make my joy complete, he doesn't stop there. He tells them how. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so he spells that out for him in four steps. And he does so in a poem. He does so in, in four different ways. And I want to look at these. Um, and I also want to retract something that, that I said a couple times, two or three times. Um, I have been um, mentioning that uh, uh, I've been paralleling these four activities with the four ifs in verse one. I'm going to stop doing that. All right. I'm going to stop doing that. And, and it, yes, there is agape love in the second one, and there's agape love in the second one. But um, I think the, the other parallels are not as strong as they were at first when I was saying so. And having dealt more, particularly related to verse 2, and seeing the internal poetry within verse 2, that's causing me to like verse 2 a whole lot more and more. And, and trust me, I'm not a poetic guy. <laughs> okay? I'm probably the, the anti-poet. I'm, I'm the least poetical guy in this, in this, in this church. Um, but I like verse 2 and what it does. And then so having seen that, then 
is causing me to see that, you know, it's really not as parallel to verse 1 as, as I was making it out to be. So um, this is what we're looking at here. It's called a chiastic structure or chiasm, okay? Uh, Paul outlines four steps for the Philippians to make his joy complete. But these four are a paired chiasmus. In other words, we have A that's parallel with D, we have B that's parallel with C. Sometimes they're listed as A and A prime, B and B prime, just different ways to, to mark the poetry on this. Uh, sometimes they're indented, and that's what I've done here. I've gone ahead and indented uh, the A and the B with an equal indent, and then I further indented, I'm sorry, the A and D I had with, with parallel indentation, and then the B and the C I indented it even further. You see that? So it's kind of pushed in further to the right. Because being of the same mind is the same expression as intent on one purpose. It's the same verb that's used both times. It's the same thinking verb that's used both times. It's our thinking verb to think, to think this way, to think one thing. And it's used twice. Uh, first time as a as a, a finite verb, the second time as a participle. And then maintaining the same love paralleled with being of one soul. It's not the word spirit, it's the word soul. So that bugs me that uh, they translated it here, united in spirit. I'm going to fix that for you here this morning. Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. All right, so um, being of the same mind. This is the same verb we had in chapter 1. In fact, this is a verb we have 10 times in the book of Philippians. This is uh, phroneo, being of the same mind. Think the same thing. Ta auta phroneta, think the same thing. And so you've got ta auta, it's a neuter uh, pronoun, the same it's neuter, so it's the same thing. Think the same thing. Franita, it's an impair as a, well, it's a subjunctive because it's the it's it's connected to the imperative of make my joy complete. So it gets put into a subjunctive as a as an adjunct kind of thing. Anyway, we can think of it as an imperative because it's it's a further expansion of the imperative that we have with make my joy complete. All right? So technically though it is a subjunctive. Um, but the verb is phroneo. The verb is phroneo, to think. And so when you think about the frame, when you think about the mind, when you think about uh, you know, other frame terms like schizophrenic and whatnot, we don't want to be of a divided mind. We don't want to be of, a, of, a, of a, you know, uh, any other kind of mind that you would have. This is a thinking expression. And one that has 26 New Testament uses, 10 of those 26 are right here in this book. Philippians is the book of thinking, okay? And when it comes right down to it, it's thinking what Christ thought. It's thinking how Christ thunk uh, in, uh, in our application, okay? And so we think the same way. And thinking one thought, being of one mind, having one intent on one purpose is intent on one mindset, okay? When your mind is locked in on something, if your wife tells you you have a one-track mind, or uh, whatever, okay, your boss tells you or somebody else tells you, that's all you think about? It's just a one-track mind? Yes. Think one thing. Think this one thing, which is 
ultimately going to be what Christ thought. Okay? And we'll get into that in the second exhortation when it is, have this attitude in yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus. And that we're not pursuing our own interests. That even comes up in the, in the meantime there in verses 3 and 4. And so when your thinking becomes locked in on this, when you start thinking of only this, okay? And you can do the same thing with sin, by the way. You can be so preoccupied with sin that that's all you think about. Because you think about it, and you think about it, and you think about it. And the longer you, you fixate on that, pretty soon it excludes everything else. Other thoughts get pushed off to the side. And so you find, like the description in Genesis 6, where every intent of the thought of their heart was only on evil continually. All right? Well, we don't want to be that way on a sin basis. We want to be that way on a Christ basis. We want to be that way in humility. And that's uh, the sense of it here. So to think the same thing. Ta-auta-franita. So the verb franeo, we had it back in chapter 1 and verse 7. Where Paul said, it is only right for me to think this way about you all. It's rendered feel this way about you all, and that makes me pull my hair out. Okay? Because it's like a mamby-pamby, millennial, wishy-washy, get in touch with your feelings kind of a thing. And I, I, that bugs me. It's not a feeling. It's a thinking. It's a phreneo. And it's a righteous phreneo. It's dekaiasune. It's righteousness. It's righteous. It is righteous for me to think this way about you all because I have you in my cardia, the core of my being. Not my splanknon, not my emotional heart. It's not a touchy-feely thing. It's thinking. And we dealt with that extensively in chapter 1. It's used twice here in verse 2 of chapter 2 because phraneo is, is used in the A and it's used in the D. Being of the same mind is thinking one way, thinking one thing, and the fourth one, intent on one purpose. Intent on one purpose. The one thing thinking. The one thing thinking. We'll deal with that under point D. It's also used in verse 5. Have this thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the thinking that Christ thunk. Okay? He did not come in the kenosis. He did not descend from the ivory palaces based on his feelings. He descended in the incarnation based upon righteous thinking. Based upon righteous thinking. So that's verse 5. In chapter 3, it's used in verse 15 and in verse 19. In verse 15, it's used twice. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. Rendered as attitude both times, but it's the final, it's the verb for thinking. All right? And we, I guess in English, we have something comparable to that because if you are of a mind to do something, right? You say, I, I have a mind to, uh, to do, or I have half a mind to do this or whatever, okay? We, we get cute with our idioms sometimes. But if I have half a mind to do something, I, I, I might do it. Uh, but if I have a mind to do something, I'll do it. Okay, and, and so if I'm thinking it through, I'm thinking it through, I'm mindful of something and then I have a mind to do something. So I guess that's, that's fairly comparable to how, how the Greek is using phreneo here. Um, the idea of attitudes is useful. 
Uh, I think uh, we, we've discussed attitudes in the past because attitudes help shape thinking, but thinking helps shape attitudes. And so they, they feed each other in, uh, in the way this works. All right. Um, and if you have a different attitude, <laughs> do we need to form a committee? Should there be other people in the church that uh, are dedicated to straightening you out? Or does God take care of that? Okay? God takes care of that. God takes care of that. That's a beautiful thing, too. When a grace ministry can center on feeding the flock, teaching the truth, the truth will set you free. I guarantee. Christ guaranteed. Okay? And so when thinking needs to be changed, let the Word of God do it. God will do it. He'll do it through the Word of God that performs its work in you who believe. And it's a marvelous thing. And then we get a chance to relax, we get a chance to slow down, we get a chance to back off a little bit, because some of those changes may not happen on our calendar. Okay, we may have a, a faster timetable for some of these people who we find very irritating. We want them to change, and, and they can change now. <laughs> well, guess what? There's irritating things about you too, and they're waiting for you to change. So it goes both directions, and that's why grace is grace. And that's why we want to, you know, take patience with one another, be patient with all men. We want to make the, the joy complete and let these things happen. Those are the two uses there in verse 15. And then um, verse 19, this is the other crowd, enemies. I tell you now, even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who franeo, earthly things who franeo, set their mind on earthly things. And so, I mean, we've got, the Greeks were great thinkers and they had, you know, I don't know how many, dozens of verbs in terms of thinking. And, and, and you know, logizomai, where we get logic, you've got all kinds of thinking expressions. This is about one of many thinking expressions in the New Testament. But, but the neat thing about franeo, I think it, it really does lock in on the thought process that brings you to a mindset the thought that an attitude or a mindset or this is my this is you know this is my my thinking on the matter this is my mindset on the matter this is my because i have put thought into it it's not just an emotional knee-jerk reaction that says i don't like whatever i put the thought into it i've considered it i've thought it through and this is my mind let me give you a piece of my mind <laughs> okay And so, uh, sadly, again, we, it, the carnal mind is just as capable of, of directing that to the wrong object and uh, setting your mind on earthly things and setting your mind on, on uh, what you're told not to set your mind on in Colossians 3.1. Okay? And that's unfortunate. They set their minds, they freneto on earthly things. In chapter 4, verse 2, I urge Yodi and I urge Syneche to freneto together in the Lord. You know what harmony really is? All right. Yeah, harmony is not an emotional thing. And then verse 10 where it's used twice. I rejoice in the Lord greatly and now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. There it's rendered as concern. They were mindful of Paul. So you were thinking of me. Indeed, you were thinking of me before but you lacked 
opportunities. That's being of the same mind. And as you're being of the same mind, as you are thinking the same thing, you're going to be loving the same thing. Having the same love. So if you're thinking the same thing, you're going to be loving the same thing. Having the same love. Tain, autain, agapain, ekontis. Okay? So you have the participle of echo, that's the ekontis at the end. I'm not breaking down vocabulary for most of these. But the, the echo, echo, echo is to have. To have something. Okay? And as a participle, then I'm having something. I'm having an awkward moment. I'm, I'm having fun. Okay? I'm having whatever, the time of my life. So the idea of having, okay? Maintaining, eh, okay. How about just having? Okay? Having the same love. And it's phrased in, in almost exact parallel as the phrase above it. And if you, if you can read Greek, or even if you can't read Greek, if you can just see the letters for what they are, there's the ta and the auta, phraneta, for the same thing thinking, right? And then down here, there's the same love. There's your agape. The same love having. So the same thing thinking, the same love having. And it's deliberately put there in that parallel way, okay? Never mind the fact that agape has an N on it. That's just because it's in the uh, accusative case. It's the object of echo. And never mind that it's outain instead of outa, okay? It's still out, okay? Outa is neuter and outain is feminine. It's outain because agape is, is feminine, all right? Anyway, having the same love, if you think about it, because <laughs> we are so different. Every believer is different. And every human is different. And, you know, I mean, people are crazy. But God saves us. And even though everybody is different, and even though we all love different things in earthly terms, okay, we might love football, we might love baseball, we might love whatever, vanilla, we might love chocolate. We all have different things that we love. Okay, we might love whatever, politically, one party, one candidate or another. We might hate another candidate that somebody else loves. All right, so how does a body come together with any kind of unity? How do we think the same thing and love the same thing? Think the same thing and have the same love. Well, if we're saved by Jesus Christ, let's start with that. <laughs> okay? And uh, it's, it's, this is... Loving Christ, loving God, loving our Savior, loving our salvation. It's the same love. And uh, I think the Apostle John put it, first love, when he was rebuking the, the uh, Laodiceans, Revelation chapter 3. So thinking the same thing, having the same love. And what's fun with that, of course, is removing this from the touchy-feely, removing this from the emotional this is a common love that we all have because we've all thought the same thing. It's a, it's a love that's based on, it's a rational love. It's a love based upon considering the Scriptures, considering what Christ has done for us. We love because He first loved us, and we've thought through that doctrine. 
We've done so individually, we do so corporately, we do so as the body of Christ. And that's, uh, is that emotional? Okay, no. I think there are ministries that try to foster a phony pseudo-replica of what they call love and it's nothing of the sort. But they try to foster it on the basis of emotionalism. They try to foster it on the basis of, of, uh, of consolation or uh, affection and compassion. And then so they really stress the affection and the compassion. And they've got whole committees dedicated to affection and compassion. Okay? And I have nothing wrong with that as long as it comes forth on the list and it follows the other three ifs and that it's grounded in rational thinking. All right. Otherwise, we're just simply uh, we're just simply a crutch for one another. We become a mutually uh, we become uh, codependent uh, as as little uh, emotional crutches, and then we're just a church full of teddy bears for one another. And uh, you know, I cry on your shoulder, you cry on my shoulder, and we just console each other and all that. And uh, you know, we got soggy shoulders. At the <laughs> but but see, the, I'm. I don't want to say that there's nothing wrong with that if it's grounded in the first things first. So again, we work our way through these ifs and we realize the affection and compassion is, uh, is the fourth if. Exhortation or encouragement, uh, consolation, fellowship of the Spirit, that's all got to be there. And agape love has to be there before the... Uh, affection and compassion can be uh, applied to the maximum, right? Let's face it, if you don't have agape love for, for the sister you're trying to come alongside, your affection and compassion is going to be impacted. In fact, it may diminish. In fact, you may just walk away and say, well, that's enough of that. And you, you find that uh, because you don't have the agape, you fall short in the affection and compassion. All right. So, uh, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, we'll come back on Wednesday because this united in spirit is not spirit; it's soul. It's sumpsukas, and uh, oh, that gets into it. And then back out to D again with the one thing thinking. So that'll be Wednesday's message. Lord willing, and rapture pending, of course. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we, uh, we call upon you to take what we've studied intellectually, what we've studied academically, make it real to each one of us. I pray that the active teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit would convey this uh, truth to our uh, human spirit, that we would resonate with it and receive it, and that, uh, Father, we would uh, be convicted so as to how to make the appropriate applications, Father, so that when we are compassionate and affectionate with one another, that we have appropriately directed affection that is grounded in agape love, that is based upon righteous thinking from the Word of God. So Father, be at work in this. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.